Hey everybody, welcome back to Church Public. I am Matt Odegaard, your host, and I am excited to be with you today. Today, we are doing a Theology Tuesday. We're doing a Theology Tuesday because we're talking about something that I keep seeing pop up on the internet and, and all over the place in terms of, uh, some would call it generational sin, but the, the big concept is, are you responsible for the sins, for the mistakes of your father, your grandfather, your grand-grand-grand-grandfather, uh, are you even responsible for the sins of your race that your race has done in the past? And the troubling issue that I am seeing are people grabbing the Bible and saying, yes, you are because of some of these verses. And I've even seen pastors do this. And unfortunately, the theology that they're grabbing onto is not correct. So we're going to have to straighten out some of that theology today. We're going to look into some different parts of the Bible and try to make sense of the whole Bible in its context in the Old Covenant, New Covenant, and the Kingdom of God and what that means for each and every one of us today. Thanks for choosing Church Public. Let's get started. Well, again, welcome back to Church Public. I'm glad that you joined us here today. If you haven't already, check out churchpublic.com where you can get previous episodes. Of course, I love it. If you would subscribe on iTunes or Apple Music, Amazon, Google, YouTube, you can search Church Public as one word and find me there. I just appreciate you subscribing, sharing, sending this to your friends if you find it helpful. Again, my goal is to help you find Jesus and follow him as much as you can and then engage in the public square because we are long past the point where we can sit on the sidelines and just pretend like none of these issues are going on. They're going on and we need to know about them so that we can intelligently speak on them in grace and truth and then help our neighbors, our friends, our family, our communities understand what the real kingdom of God is. Because unfortunately, again, as I'm seeing, people either open up or do a Google search on a verse and then pull that verse out of context and go, see, here's my point. The Bible says this, or it doesn't say this, or whatever. And a lot of times I'm noticing that's not right. We don't have the full understanding we don't have the full understanding of what this is saying and the context of it. It's very important to hear the context of it. It's very important to understand why God says certain things in certain places and why it may sound like a contradiction or sound different in other places, but it's not a contradiction. It's just that we have moved through the arc of God's story and at certain times we needed certain things and at certain times we needed other things. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that because I'm hearing people say things like today. We're talking about generational sin or the idea that you are responsible for the sins of your father or great, 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 great grandfather or you are, re you are responsible for the sins of your race because of the way you look and people are pulling verses out like this Exodus uh, 20 around verse 5 I'm hearing people say I'm a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third fourth generation uh, to those who hate me and they're using that verse to say yeah God says you're responsible for the sins of your fathers there's there's the proof first of all that's out of context and we're going to talk about why that actually isn't 
exactly what this is saying here. And we're going to talk about the Bible more as a whole because it's important that we understand. It's important that we understand why did God say it that way? And what does that, what does that mean? And what does that mean for me today? And are we still under that, you know, as some would say, curse? And this, this has issue when you have proponents of people uh, that, are, that are running things like crit critical race theory, critical social justice, and pushing for these ideologies that I would say compete with biblical worldview. When they're pushing for these things and saying, for instance, quote, the original sin of America is racism. <sighs> the original sin of America is original sin. The original sin of humanity is original sin. There is racism. Yes. I'll say it over and over again. There is racism. There's been racism. There's always been racism in the Bible from the very beginning, uh, almost a little bit past the beginning. We have racism. It, it's forever. And unfortunately, it's going to be forever because we're broken. And that's not the only sin. That, that's the problem. We're going to learn in a moment that not only the Ten Commandments, which you've probably heard of, there were 613 commandments that you had to follow because of all the broken things in you. Even like not eating shrimp. If you ate a shrimp, you were damned to hell. I'm just telling you. This isn't me talking. These are the things you couldn't do under certain parts of the law. And thank goodness we're not under that part of the law, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Because I really like shrimp. And I also like bacon. And I like bacon-wrapped shrimp. Because what could be better than a shrimp wrapped in bacon? If you don't like that, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you. This is, this is an amazing thing. But if I did either or both of those things, again straight to hell like you that's that's a problem in the old covenant and we're going to look at what does that mean what's an old covenant what's a new covenant and why is original sin original sin and and why is it more than just this one sin which is bad again racism bad every time you see it call it out yell at people tell them to go take a hike uh be nice be gentle be gracious but we can't abide by that but there's a lot of other sins that are bad too. And then you have people say, like even ex Kendi, who says things like, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. And the only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. That is saying you're responsible for the sins of your father. And now we have to make you pay. You have to pay for those sins. And unfortunately, that is a worldview that only ends in more discrimination, more violence, more bloodshed, because no one can ever pay enough. You can never pay enough. That is actually the story of the gospel. The whole story of the gospel is from the fall of man with Adam and Eve, when they made a mistake, and we are now cursed for all of time. From that point, there is nothing you can do to make up for it. Nothing, nothing. You cannot get out from under that doesn't matter which sin it is. You can't do it. You don't have the power to do it. We're going to look through the covenant and, and see some ways that God helped us through this and helped us reconnect in certain instances. But there is someone else that had to come along, spoiler, Jesus, that had to help us through this. And without him, we cannot ever be right. We can't. And many people out there are going to say, well, you're just religious and I don't believe in that. I, okay. I mean, fine. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to follow this. It's not about me. It's about you. I want you to come to understanding of faith and I want you to understand who Jesus is in your life and the freedom that he gives you, the salvation that he gives you, the freedom from sin, the freedom from death uh, that he gives you. 
that's not for me. So I, I want that for you. I want that for everyone who will listen. As Jesus says, though, some will have ears to hear this and some won't. So I hope you're one of the ones that do. So we're going to look at Old and New Covenant. And we're going to look at Old and New Covenant because this is what's important for us to remember. And a lot of people on this and many other things grab onto some of these verses and they say, well, this is in the Bible, so this is how it is. And that's partially true. The reason it's partially true is there is an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. And many of you probably have heard Old Testament and New Testament. And again, if this is a repetition for you, I get it. But it, it helps us to understand this. And we need to really understand this so we understand who we are in God's kingdom today. This is really important, even if it sounds very basic. So when you've heard about the Old and New Testament, and I keep, I'll keep pointing to my Bible if you're watching on, on video, if you're not and on audio, thank you. There's two halves here. There's a New Testament, there's an Old Testament. The interchangeable word there is testament and covenant. The covenant is something that represents a relationship that we have with God. And so there are two different relationships that humanity has had with God. Actually, there's more because in the Garden of Eden before all of this, we actually had the perfect relationship with God. You could be with God and be unashamed regardless of your condition, which at the end of time, when we see him face to face again, we also will be. But while we are on this earth, uh, and there are these two covenants. Okay, I know, a little complicated, but we got this. So even from the beginning, right after that fall, God points to this Messiah figure that's going to change our relationship back to having the ability to be in the presence of God, just like we talked about in the Garden of Eden. That is the goal. The goal is to be in the presence of God and unashamed of the mistakes that you make because now you are perfected again and you don't make those mistakes. Unfortunately, now, because of the curse of Adam and Eve, we are under this curse and we do make mistakes. And that's hard for us to hear because this world says you're perfect just the way you are. And this world says you're just the way you were made and live your truth and you be you and just become who you are and all of these really nice phrases. But sadly, and I think you know this, that's not true. It's not real. You know you don't make all the right decisions. I know I don't make all the right decisions. That's part of it. We make mistakes and it stinks that we make mistakes and that's even a, a problem of of the the problems in this world i don't want to imply that there are no problems in this world i don't want to imply that there's no injustice i don't want to imply that there is no inequity of course there is there always has been and unfortunately until jesus comes again there always will be because of the mistakes that we make so even if we're talking the curse of sin and the fact that we do sin and we'll talk about this more in a moment in terms of generational things, there are still consequences of sin, and there always have been consequences of sin. And those consequences cause a lot of suffering in this world. And it's, it's a terrible situation. And that is why, as believers, specifically, we're called to go into this world and love people and love people in this world. The point that we're talking about today, though, is not that we don't love people. Are we responsible for all of their situation? And that is this idea of generational sin, this idea that you are responsible, regardless of whether you did it or not, you are responsible for someone else's condition. And we're going to look at some of these covenant laws and then come to a conclusion there that hopefully you can understand. 
So this old covenant was actually established between God and the people of Israel after they were freed from the Egyptians through Moses. I've talked about that many times, and that's right in this place where we are in Exodus 20. That actually is these Ten Commandments. And Moses comes down and, and God gives him these commandments, and these commandments help the people know when they're making mistakes and when they're not living up to what God has for them. And then as, as you go on to say, once you get to the um, Levitical laws after that, that's where that, the total adds up to like 613 laws that you have to follow as a person of God so that you don't sin against God. And as I mentioned, unfortunately, no one can live up to that. Even then, no one could live up, live up to that. You, you cannot keep all of these laws all of the time. You, you just can't. As perfect as you think you are, sorry, sad to disappoint, but unfortunately, you can't live up to all these laws. No one can. And we'll look at some of the New Testament passages and, and, and talk about that in a moment. Romans has a lot to say about this when, when Paul talks to the Romans about this. You, you just can't, you can't live up to it. So God, in his grace, what he does is he says, all right, I know you can't live up to this. So what we're going to do is I'm going to create this system and it becomes the system of sacrificial law where there was a first a tabernacle in the desert um, and then there was a temple later in Jerusalem and uh, through all of these things with the sacrificial law and through the literal blood sacrifice of animals that we were purified, people were purified for a time through these things. But even in that, it was designed to be temporary. This was designed not as the permanent salvation of humanity that God did have planned, that he's been talking about this whole time, if you really read and you really pay attention. It is not the permanent salvation of humanity. It's this sacrificial system where animals did need to be sacrificed regularly, and you needed this high priest some other priests as well, but especially a high priest appointed to serve as the point person, the go-between between between God and man, which was a dangerous job indeed. There's a story about one time, uh, or, or I think most of the time, that this one day a year when the one priest could go in, they tied a rope around his waist because just in case that person died, the next person's like, I'm not going in there to go in the presence of God because God's gonna kill me too. So if the person happened to die, they would just pull him out with the rope. I'm telling you, you don't want that job. But... You need that job, you need that intermediary, that person in between you and God, because you are way more sinful than that high priest who is a little bit better. But even that guy, probably not 100%, right? 99.8, but 99.8, it's not 100, and God demands 100%. Why? Because God is holy. And the idea that God is holy is, He is set apart. He is different. He's different than you and me. And if we are stained, he cannot be in our presence. Or the the obverse, really, reverse. We can't be in his presence if, if we have sin in our lives. That's why you needed these sacrifices to cover over. That's why you needed this priest to cover over. But this plan of God was bigger, and it was greater. And the prophets would speak about this Savior, this Messiah that was coming to save the people of God. And many of you know this story again, but it's important that we understand because this tells us the difference between the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Testament, New Covenant. And this is important for us to understand in the context of generational sin. So this Messiah was going to come and save the people of God once and for all. No more sacrifice needed. No more priests needed. And this leads us to the New Covenant. 
the New Testament, the New Covenant, to Jesus, perhaps the most famous verse of all time, and you all know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The most famous verse of all time, probably because it spells all of this out. God loved you and didn't want to leave you where you were, and so he provided Jesus so that you could connect back to him. And Jesus then was all you needed. You didn't need the sacrifice of animals, the blood sacrifice. You didn't need the high priest because Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled this sacrificial law. And not only that, he became the great high priest. This is, this is all language that you can read about through the gospels and through the letters, the epistles um, that Paul and, and some other apostles write. Jesus becomes the great high priest and sits in between God the Father and us. So we can now once again come to God personally. We can pray to God specifically and God will hear our prayers now because of Jesus. And this is a huge change from the whole Old Testament that says we can't do that. And that one guy that we talked about earlier, even he who was really good might just get killed because he isn't quite good enough. And we, just normal people, like, there's no chance for us. We're just going to get spontaneously combusted into fire, which happened a bunch of times. Again, read a bunch of the Old Testament. Like, the people who thought they were okay, there's this whole Ark of the Covenant thing where somebody was actually trying to help and, like, catch the Ark from falling, whatever, but they got killed because you can't come into God's presence if you have sin. You just can't. And that may sound unfair, and I get how that sounds unfair, but... You just have to get out of your idea of justice and get into the idea of God's justice. The justice in God's kingdom is perfect justice. It doesn't have another addendum to it. It doesn't have another adjective. Social justice or cosmic justice or racial justice or any of these other words. It is just justice. And it's justice in God's kingdom that if, is, is, if there's anything wrong with you, then you are not pure. And again, that's harsh. And the good news is that's why we have Jesus. I, I'm just going to keep proclaiming this until somebody hears me. I, I mean, it, it, and it isn't about me. This is about God and his kingdom. Like the reason we have Jesus, as we've just gone through this sacrificial system, is because now we actually have a chance. We actually have a chance to come into the presence of God because we can't do it on our own. When Jesus died for us and when he was resurrected, he now keeps the covenant for us. This is now the new covenant. Jesus talks about this in very specific language. Jesus brings this new covenant and our burden is on him. So even when we make mistakes, and we still will, though there may be consequences in this world, Jesus has the power to forgive and make us new. The easier way to look at this is really just this work versus grace. Work is you have to do something. You earn what you deserve. So you can work as hard as you can and you try to get to it. And grace is this gift that you can't earn. You can't earn grace because it's something that's given to you. You don't earn your birthday presents or your Christmas presents. You don't earn a present grace is just given to you because of the love of the other person. I mean, working for something, working, you know, to save up money and buy a house feels great. But if someone gave you a house, that would feel greater. And you didn't earn it because you can't. This is that idea. So 
in the old covenant, you really do have to kind of work for your salvation. And again, that's nuanced and, and there's deeper theology in there. And I, I, I'm trying to paint an analogy and paint a picture. And so don't, uh, don't dock me on a not complete theology. I'm just trying to be more simplistic. In the new covenant, you cannot work. In fact, there's a big argument in, in between Paul and, and James sometimes over, over works versus faith. And um, really, when you read it, it, it all does make sense. But, but some people argue that one of them is saying you've got to work for it. And they're, they're not. But you can't. You can't work for it. You just have to accept the grace. And then what you do out of the grace that you've been given is the work that God does through you. And that's where it gets a little bit confused there. And sometimes they use the same language and sometimes English is clunky. Again, back to what we were talking about the other day. Language is really important. We have to understand, define the terms, and know what we're talking about. So the biggest advantage from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant is that the Old was for a certain people in a certain time. It was for the Israelites. This, like when we talked about um, Exodus and we talked about the Ten Commandments, that was specifically for the Israelites so that they would know what they were doing wrong and so that they could live better and live set apart, even from the other nations that were around them. God talks to them a lot about that. We are influenced by culture. They were very influenced by culture and it didn't go well for them. So we're not throwing away these rules. We should know them because otherwise sometimes we don't understand what is good and what is bad and they can be a great basis for our morality. But these rules do not define who we are anymore because we're in this new covenant. And the good news from the old covenant, which was just for the Israelites, the people of God that he chose, the new covenant is for every person who wants it. This is where we get to verses like Galatians 3.28. There's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, rich or poor, etc., etc. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is also why Paul, also in Galatians 3, says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under the law. In other words, this law helps us. It still helps us today, but it's not the basis of who we are. We are based in Jesus Christ and the spirit that has set us free. The writer of Hebrews goes even farther to say, um, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete will be outdated and soon disappear. That's Hebrews 8. So do we still need to understand the law? Yes, of course, we still need to understand the law. We need to study the law like the law is good. They help us understand morality. They help us understand the heart of God. Without this foundation, it is difficult to know what is right and wrong, especially in this culture that is often opposite on what is right and what is wrong. But we are freed from the law and we are free from the power of sin. Read through Romans 7 for a lot about this. So now that we have that foundation, we can talk about generational sin. And again, the reason we need to talk about this generational sin is I've heard many people and especially pastors talking about how in the Bible, like that passage in Exodus that I read for you, there's gener generational sin and therefore we need to repent from generational sin, like generational racism and, and slavery and 
to be really clear, we can acknowledge that there are currently disparities in people and certain races. And, and you can see some of that. You can see some of that today. And of course, in the past, there has been terrible racism and slavery and all sorts of laws against certain races. And that's terrible. Again, we should learn about that in history. We should call that out. Um, and we need to figure that out. But what part do we individually play? And according to critical race theory, I am, because of what I look like, privileged, and therefore I must ask forgiveness, I must apologize, and I must pay for my sins that are part of this original sin of racism. Um, but that's not what the gospel says. That, that, that's not the gospel. Original sin in the gospel is original sin. And it comprises a lot more than racism, in fact. And that, that is another side point as far as like racism is really bad. There are also a lot of really bad things. There's a lot of really bad sins. And we need to know that that's not the only sin. And if we focus in so much on one, we're going to miss a lot of the other ones. And God wants you to be made holy, made new, as we're talking about in the new covenant not just in one area, but in all of the areas. So in the Old Covenant, people are pointing to things like this. They're pointing to things like Joshua, um, where Achan and 36 men were killed. Uh, God said Israel had broken his covenant, this Old Covenant, and so people were had to pay for this breaking of the covenant for some generations. And in, in this one that I read to you, in Exodus, which is also repeated, in Deuteronomy 5, that God punishes children for the sins of the parents, the third and fourth generation, and on and on. Again, that's out of context. This is the commandment not to make idols and not to worship God only. But secondly, this is Old Covenant, and it's literally the Ten Commandments. You see the story of God arc through time. You see the prophets begin to speak about the Messiah to remove this curse and to remove and, and in fact, this generational thing was never really a thing, um, which is a really complicated point, and I'm not going to get into for time. But, but you hear this being said, and so I just I wanted to bring up a little of it. So you have prophets like Ezekiel saying, 1820, Ezekiel 1820, the son shall not suffer for the sins of the father, nor the father suffer for the sins of the son. The righteousness of the righteous is upon himself, the wickedness of the wicked is upon himself. So what you have done is on you, regardless, good or bad, whatever. It's on you. The things your dad did, the things generation ago did, that's not on you. And this is still even in the old covenant. We're going we're gonna to go to new covenant in a second. But even in Gen Jeremiah, who is pointing forward specifically to the Messiah, specifically to Jesus, he says, Jeremiah 31, in those days... People will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. I know that's a weird saying. But the idea is this. If you've ever eaten a sour grape or sour candy, whatever, your son is not going to taste the weird sour taste that you're tasting. I mean, obvious, right? And so the sin you did is not their fault. They don't taste that sin and they don't pay for your sin. Instead, Jeremiah goes on to say, verse 30, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. I know, kind of a weird phrase, but anyway, Jeremiah goes on to say, verse 31, this is the important part. The days are coming when I, the Lord, will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. Again, God, in his whole plan saying, we had this first covenant. 
it did what it needed to do. This new covenant is coming with the Messiah, with the chosen one, with the new high priest, where you can again have a personal relationship with God, and this new covenant is established, not the old covenant. Instead, in this new covenant, under the reign and the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus covers all of our sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from, hear this, all unrighteousness. Did you hear that? All unrighteousness. If we needed to confess the sins of our fathers or brothers or great-grandfathers or whomever or our race, God would have said that we need to do that. That's not what God said under the new covenant. And the biggest part of both the old and the new covenants is for you to take responsibility for your action. No one makes you do anything. You are the one who makes choices, good, bad, otherwise. You are the one who has to live with the consequences. And unfortunately, this is the part that there is no generational sin, but there are consequences. And those consequences can go through generations. And we do see some of that. And that is some of the disparity and some of the inequality. And yes, we as believers should even help and lean into this. And we should try to help people wherever we run into them. And that's the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, that because when we believers actually go out and do the work of loving one another, we can then be in the situations where we see people and say, how can I help you? How can I meet you where you are and how can I love you? And that is the best hope that we have. The best hope that we have is that you can jump in and you can do something for the kingdom and you can do something for the hurting and those that are broken and need help. That's the role of the gospel. That's the role of, of the new covenant. But it's the opposite of what proponents of critical race theory, critical social justice, whiteness studies are saying that I, because of the way I look, need to apologize for my part in past discrimination and I need to be actively anti-racist. And this is not being against racism. Again, read Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. It is, what am I supposed to do more so that I atone for the original sin in his worldview, in the critical race theory worldview of racism? If the original sin is racism, then every action that I do has to, uh, has to cover over this original sin of racism, right? Unfortunately, you can't do that. That's, that's why we had to go through this old covenant to see that like even that's one sin. Look at the poor Israelites who had 613 commandments. That's not even all the sins. Then there's, there's these writings um, by some of the rabbis that go and explain all these. It ends up being a lot of laws, a lot of sins that you can possibly commit. Believe me, a lot, a lot. And some of them are, ooh, I was going to say ridiculous. I apologize uh, to my friends out there. But they are. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's, I'll just say it this way. It's impossible to follow all of those, much less to follow one, follow one rule. We, we just can't do it. And we make mistakes. And we're going to make mistakes. And so what is going to be the ultimate penance for that? Like, what can I possibly do to cover over that for another human being? Is it my money? Is it my property? Is it my very life? Like, what will possibly cover over the sins of the past? And the reality is nothing can. There are atrocities that have happened in America. There are atrocities that have happened around the world for the history of the world. Again, slavery, terrible atrocity. What about the Holocaust? Who pays for the Holocaust and the people who were killed in the Holocaust? I, I could go on and on and on, like who pays for these and what is an appropriate payment for those things? Again, my, my money, my property, my life, is anything ever gonna be enough to cover over that? And unfortunately, I think the answer is no. 
not that we shouldn't help, not that we shouldn't love people. We should, we should be there. We should love people. We should try to do everything that we can, but how can I possibly cover over a sin that happened in the past and that I didn't do? I, I, I don't, I'll just say this. And, and again, you can throw hate on me if you want, but I don't care what you look like. If you love Jesus, I love you. I will hug you. I will embrace you as a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. I will love you. And I really mean that. I don't care where you came from. I don't care your circumstances. I've had a lot of really weird and amazing and strange friends and I love them. If you don't love Jesus, I want to love you too. I want to love you into the kingdom of God because I think you need it. If you hate me because of what I look like, that makes me sad, but I can still love you. And it, it's hard then because we don't share this common foundation and that doesn't leave us a lot of room for discussion to talk about this. I can pray for you and I will love you, but the thing I cannot do is accept your worldview. I cannot accept the worldview that is outside of the kingdom of God. I can't do it. And that's what is really hard about this time. It's really hard about this time because some of us who are believers who have hearts and who really want to love people are being asked to do things that are not in the kingdom of God. And we have to be really careful with that. We have to be really careful what worldview we are subscribing to in the interest of kindness and empathy and compassion. We need to be kind and have empathy and compassion, but truth really matters. Truth really matters because God is truth and we have to point people to that ultimate truth. We can't just pick and choose what we want. We can't just reinvent what sin is original sin. We, this is not the Bible. This is not the way. We, we have to figure out how to do this and how to do this well together. I was reading... And, and this is a related one, and I think it is important, and I'll maybe end with this, but this is out of 2 Timothy 4, as I read through the Bible every year, and uh, this just happened to be in my one of my readings, and I, I think it's important. I think it's important to understand the bigger context of what is going on. He says, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Hear this. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. They will want to have their ears tickled. In other words, they want to hear whatever they want to hear. Continuing on in Timothy. They'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn to myths. But as for you, use self-restraint, self-control in all things. Endure the hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. That's 2 Timothy 4. This is the important thing for us to do. And it's going to be hard because this is not what the world is saying. This is not what the world wants you to do. They want you to say the words they want you to say. And when you don't, you're going to be called names. You're going to be deplatformed. You may be fired. I mean, this is coming and we see it every day across America and really the world now. People are hostile to the gospel and and it's because they want to be their own God and God wants to be God. The two things, there is a God, I am not him. I have to remember that every single day. And if you're a believer, you do too. And the world doesn't love that. And the world wants to be God or give somebody else God and make these idols. That's why it's so ironic that verse that's being used for generational racism uh, or generational sin payment is literally the commandment to have no other gods before God. It literally is the commandment to not make an idol. And we, we make these idols because we do. 
from the beginning, God knows that we do. This is our tendency and we still do it and it's still hard for us. So I want to encourage you that this is not going to be an easy path, but it is a good path. And it's a path that we can find love and we can seek after loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving other people. I want to keep saying over and over again, you should love other people. You should pursue relationships with other people, especially people that don't look like you. This is really important and it's really hard, but we need to do it. And we can't blame someone or judge someone based on what they look like. We really can't. That is actually a terrible thing to do in every situation, regardless of who you are. Judging somebody based on what they look like is really bad. We need to judge people on who they are. That's the most important thing to do. And I'm not saying throw away your culture. I'm not saying forget who you are. I'm not saying forget your circumstances. I'm just saying the most important thing about you is your soul and who you are in Christ. And this world doesn't want to hear that right now. They want the most important thing about you to be what you look like, who you love, how you love, all these other identity groups. But that's not the most important thing. Your identity needs to be first in Jesus. And again, if you're not a believer, I guess this doesn't really apply. And you have to live your life however you want to live your life. I hope you can find Jesus. I really pray you can because this is the only way to go forward. I have studied so many world religions, philosophies, and ideologies. I mean, so many. I don't have time to talk about them today. But there are a lot out there. And following Jesus is the only one that has any forgiveness and redemption of any consequence. It really is the only one. Uh, that's, that's a long apologetic for another day, but I'm just telling you, and you don't have to take my word for it. Like there's a lot of books I could point you to, uh, to read about that, but, but there, there is not a better way. I, I am convinced. And again, don't believe me. It, it's not my job to convert you. It's just my job to tell you what the truth is. So I've probably started preaching a little too much more than I meant to, but I, I have a heart for this. I have a heart for you. I have a heart for you finding God. And that starts with knowing what the actual truth is. That's where I began this whole deal that there are people out there quoting Bible verses that don't mean what they think they mean. And, and this is important for us as believers and as followers to understand the real context of old covenant, new covenant, and your role and your freedom in Christ. So God bless you as always, and I hope that you can keep the faith.